we got uh, My Little Pony coming up with uh, with Kitty Hawk. Yay! And I or I had attempted to arrange uh, one of the girls from uh, from Destroy All Podcast to be on the show. I know. Uh, and she apparently is really busy, and I can't really get a hold of her. What about Ben Heckendorn? Uh, you know what? I haven't contacted him in a while. So last time I last time I checked, you know, we just haven't gotten our schedules uh, arranged. Yeah, this girl Zooey, she's not even on uh, her own podcast anymore. Instead, they have these other two girls who, uh, you know, I don't, I don't like to rag on feminists a lot, but Jesus Christ, it's like yes, you do. They, they talk, they talk about, they talk about cartoons on that show, and and they always, what annoys me is that they always twist it to feminist issues, and it's like they they'll find ways to interpret shows that really aren't the way they were intended to be taken and it's more of just a personal thing for me just because uh i i know what it's like to have written something and have someone twist it to something that i didn't mean and just how irritating that is where uh, on the on the most recent episode it's like episode 232 yeah they they're talking about these two anime shows and at some point they kind of uh, deviate and talk about the Transformers, and they bring up the one that had the female Autobots, and they somehow arrived at this conclusion that uh, that the whole thing with with Elita One was like a virginity uh, metaphor. What? And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, what, what the hell are you talking about? No, the whole point where the women Autobots kick ass because they were the resistance movement, and they were. Yeah, well, the point of the episode was that they were looking for. Uh, for uh, Alpha Trion, he was the main character of, the, of that episode, and the point and the major point in that was that it was establishing who made Optimus Prime, and, and she was just Elite One as well. Yeah, and it just I was just like, God damn it! And I I called them out on it, and they'll probably like like read my email on on the next show and like you know read me in the, read it in the dopey voice like they always do. Well, here's TV's Mr. Neil again. I'm calling you. You know they they always they always kind of read my emails in that voice. Oh, well, you do that with other people. I know. <laughs> I gave this show a real shot. I know. I I'm okay with that. It's just that. I know. And I'm like, I just I'm like, I always thought that was funny. And I'm like, you know, if you want if you want an episode of the Transformers that actually has misogyny in it, check out Power Glide's stupid girlfriend. The girl who loves Power Glide. Oh my. Yeah, because here here's a girl who who is just she she's just like this this uh this adult child who is spoiled and expects everything to be handed to her. And of course it's a David Wise episode. So, yeah, David Wise, you know, I don't know what his motivation for writing this character was. I think of a man and I take away reason and accountability. The Webcast Beacon Network has been covering and promoting creativity and the creative process since 2007, starting with the Webcomic Beacon, a topical webcomics podcast with a jovial bunch of misfits like your local morning radio show. Also, the Webcomic Beacon Newscast, recaps, reviews, and discussions of community and industry news relative to comic creators, especially of digital distribution. Also, the Tropecast, the ever-tangential discussion of literary and visual memes. And finally, Web Fiction World. Before web comics, there was independent and self-published web-release written fiction and literature. Find this all at webcastbeacon.com. Be sure to grab a master RSS feed or master iTunes feed and not miss a thing. So I saw that uh, Frank Cifaldi had written an article saying that 
we don't know exactly when Super Mario Brothers came out. Oh, right, yeah. <clears throat> I read that on uh, Gamasutra, right? It's like Gamasutra? Yeah. Yeah, it, it was kind of interesting. I had always assumed that it came out in 86, but uh, he narrowed it down closer to the actual launch date. I think um, they narrowed it down to one week of time, or then they said possibly it could be around Thanksgiving. Yeah, uh, some of our listeners know that I'm, I'm a bit of a gaming dork, so uh, anyone who's interested, go go on Gamasutra, look for this. Uh, I think it's called We Can't Prove When Super Mario Brothers Came Out. So let's see here. Animaniacs versus Tiny Toons is the subject. Got it. Yes. Uh, everyone... I have not picked the side yet. Is that is that wrong? Did I uh, not you will you will no. soon. This is the beginning, the beginning of our story, the beginning. Hello and welcome again to Animation Aficionados. Uh, I'm your host, Ben, joined by my co-host, TV's Mr. Neil. Ducky, go down the hole. And we have with us Bob Mackey. Hello, everyone. And tonight we're talking about uh, Tiny Toons versus Animaniacs. Not a proper side-by-side, but an interesting evolution of Warner Brothers animation. Uh, let's get started here. Uh... Basically, Tiny Toons is, to be polite, what John Kay says it is. The, the little Looney Tunes? Yeah. And yes, I'm going to get some emails, but... I think I think you're partially correct. I wouldn't agree totally, but I think uh, it started off as wanting to be much cuter than it eventually became. And, uh, you know, the it just really wasn't up to par, I would have to say. It, the, the animation, you know... There were a couple episodes done by TMS, but those were rare. Uh, they, were, they were usually the ones where you saw different point-of-view shots and stuff. And Season 1 had tons of Kennedy, though. Tons. You know, Glenn Kennedy was making, you know, money. And he... But to the show's credit, they did fire him. Is that until Spielberg saw what it looked like? Boingy, boingy, boingy. Yeah. Or as I like to say, tongue two, three. Oh, no. <laughs> that is bringing back some bad memories. <laughs> Well, I remember was the one where they did like uh, Peter and the Wolf as a marching band, and that was a Kennedy episode. That was so bad. That was about, I'm sorry, that was about uh, 60% Kennedy, and another studio did bits and pieces of it. And you could tell it was jumping back and forth. It was like, here's a good scene, and then we're going to go right back to Kennedy. That was the one episode that just pissed me off the most. Actually, the first episode did that. A very loony beginning did that. Yeah, it did. Oh. <laughs> and you know the, the problem with it is when they when they make the, the little characters avatars of the big characters it's very obvious like you know plucky is just a more surly more egotistical daffy which actually makes plucky a much more interesting character than the rest of the cast out of the I gate agree. yeah yeah because you know daffy before he became bugs's bitch was the best looney tunes character That's or true. you know as as some of the fans call him pre-crisis daffy <laughs> that's great and uh you know that's the great thing about plucky was plucky was uh you know plucky was just so egotistical and oh so uninhibited while daffy was like very inhibited and has to like always play second fiddle to bugs whenever the two are on a screen well plucky didn't have that and that's what made him the most interesting out of the all of them. Because, I think he definitely got the best jokes, and he got a spinoff too. So they did care uh, about two episode spinoff. Yes. Well, technically, they they repackaged things and sold it as you know the Plucky Duck show. I know. Yeah. And where there were there were let's let's talk about other episodes and other things. I remember uh, re-airings of these shows 
were hilarious because uh because I remember this is when the Fox censorship, you know, be, this is back when it aired on Fox, at least in my area. And the Fox censorship was getting hilarious. Like, uh, there was an episode, it was actually handed by, made by, by Kennedy, where Buster bought a new bike. And in the original cut of the episode, they showed, like, this uh, sleazy bike, used bike, you know, dealer, you know, eating a, a scorpion if you're unhappy with the purchase. Oh, right, yeah. And in the re-airings, they do a, like a really bad jump cut to not show the scorpion being eaten because, I don't know, maybe there was a retarded kid in, in Arizona that repeats everything he sees on TV. Yeah, for a network run by Fox, they were really they were really wishy-washy about that sort of thing. Yeah, you know, there was just a lot of problems with this show. It was uh, it, The biggest problems for me were the characters. There were not that many likable characters other than Plucky. I mean, did you like any of the characters? I'm having a hard time thinking. Uh... The worst uh, ones, in my opinion, were the ones that never talked, or mm. were trying to emulate the silent, um, the uh, you know, the Sylvester and Tweety cartoons or the Roadrunner cartoons because they just didn't have the animation to pull that off. Like Furball, so, Furball's yeah, Furball was <laughs> not endearing because Furball was not cutely animated. Right. I mean, you kind of watch the show for the dialogue, not for the animation. In rare, rare occasions, it would be okay, but yeah, the silent cartoons or the non-dialogue uh, cartoons were always the worst. I don't think they went for them that often, though. There wasn't a lot of, like, uh, Calamity Coyote uh, and whatever the hell the Roadrunner analog was. There wasn't a lot of those to go around, which was good. But um, Be- Beeper, were... I think, or something like that. Oh, yeah, Beeper. Which is really stupid. They really didn't try with that. They're like, uh, he's another bird with one letter different. Yeah, it's... Uh... What I remember was uh, just so many bad episodes. Uh, the the biggest problem was the villains, uh you know the problem with it was they they you know they built up Montana Max to be this megalomaniacal bad villain, and then they do like a tender episode about him getting in touch with his imagination. Yeah. Um. Well, sometimes they would do that with the Looney Tunes, but you know, but what was a nice tender episode they did with Yosemite Sam? You're you're going right for Yosemite Sam because I he's the analog that. of Mad Montana Max. I know, but you know they they had they had uh, old Looney Tunes where sometimes uh, uh, Elmer Fudd would be the winner and be the be the hero. It was rare, but it did happen. Okay, okay. Um, well, another example is Elmira. Elmira was a villain character that never got her comeuppance on on Tiny Tunes. What explains the uh, her sort of popularity within the show? Were, were they getting feedback or something? Because it seems like they were. The really only fan to I love. know liked her. Hmm. No fan I know liked her. She was annoying. She was a villain character, but she never got her comeuppance. The only reason why we put up with Elmer Fudd is because at the end of the episode, there's a bomb that explodes in his face. You know, but with with Elmira, she never gets her comeuppance. I mean, she does horrible things to the other characters because she's mentally retarded or something. And and voiced by Chris Summer, my dad. And <laughs> And she never got her comeuppance. I mean, this is one of the brilliant things about uh, about Animaniacs. I'm just going to jump into Animaniacs very, very quickly here. There's a segment on Animaniacs called Justice for Buttons, <laughs> where, where where basically Elmira gets, like, after five years, someone at Warner Brothers says, okay, we need to really say sorry to the fans. Here's five minutes of Elmira getting hurt. I forgot about that. Uh, yes, you're right. I can't believe I forgot about that. Wow. And like I said, Elmira on Tiny Toons never got hers, and that's what was so annoying about her. And uh, you know, 
Bugs and not Bugs, Buster and Babs. I didn't really like them that much. They were very smarmy, and uh, I don't know. It's like they they thought they they were funny. They're yeah. like entertaining each other, but not really the audience. Yeah, uh, Hampton was an okay straight man, but he really wasn't. You know, they tried to do something with his cleanliness thing that you know it, it just didn't work for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, well, he was voiced by Don Messick, and it's really hard to make a bad character out of something done by Don Messick. No, he was he. So you, you know, Hampton worked the way same way Porky did with with uh, Daffy. True, as a straight man, but uh, but overall, it's uh, he was a second he was a second rate straight man. I remember they tried to do one episode where they had Porky pass the torch to Hampton. Oh yeah, right, where where they where Porky gives Hampton a, a drum to uh, pop out of and do the, that's all, folks. And then there's the wrapping episode where uh, Hampton kept. Kept misunderstanding what rapping meant. And... Well, I think he understood it better than the other characters who were rapping. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, see, Neil was talking about how he liked the Batman joke in there. I said, Neil, that's a Kennedy episode, and that's the rap episode. But, but Kennedy is not responsible for writing the jokes. I know, but you will have to take the hit on the rap episode bit. I guess. <laughs> because, as Neil put it, the wrong side won. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here I am, like a metal guy, and I'm watching this episode. I'm like, this is total bullshit. <laughs> well, the whole thing is the rap thing just dates the episode really badly because it was just it was it was it was uh, white boy rap. It was it was vanilla ice rap. Speaking of dating the episode, I think in that show, a lot of the times they kept mentioning how it was the '90s. Yeah, that was a common theme. Like it's the '90s way to do this, or it's like this is our '90s week or '90s day or something weird like that. They're very excited about the 90s. Even in the year 1990, I'm like, wow, this is a really bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, when they did the 90s stuff, is a lot. Actually, a lot of the styles and stuff they were trying to show for the hip, cool stuff was early eight, was late 80s. Not yeah. 90s. Yeah. It was like Saved by the Bell again. Well, the funny thing about that is that uh, Mel Blanc had just died, and I, I always thought that they were just waiting for him to die, and then as soon as he was gone, they're like, okay, let's start a new show. Because it sure seemed like they were not eager to do any animation while he was still alive. They're like, uh, let's do a compilation movie. Shit, he's still around. Let's do another compilation movie. <laughs> Quackbusters. Yeah. Yeah, this was really just not very well done. It's a. <clears throat> I mean, uh, with the, they they had the dodo bird. It's a, you know, which was a gr- you know the original dodo was a great you know was a great original cartoon. I, I believe it was Clampet. Yeah. 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 And and then they they decide to make this, you know, this this uh, dodo world and the uh, wacky world or something like that. And I think that fell that fell flat on its face. Because I remember the writers made a huge deal about, "Oh yeah, this is actually the only character that's a child of an original Looney Tunes character. He is actually the son of the dodo from that short." They were making a big oh, no. deal about that. No, Neil, they were. Plus you had Frank Welker doing the voice, and that was one of his not so good voices. Yeah. Yeah, like you, a, a toned down Slimer or something. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, it, was uh, it sounded like Slimer if Slimer had phlegm. Yeah, or something, <laughs> or peanut butter stuck on the roof of his mouth. Yeah, deviated septum. And there were other things like, uh, you know, they they tried to push the school angle a lot, and they kept on going back and forth with it. And yeah, they I'm also sure they, they also like, went back and forth with are they kids? Well, Do they have parents? Do they live alone? Yeah, it's like they're, are they in college? Are they in high school? Are they in grade school? Well, well, what I remember is like sometimes you know Hamptons has his own home. Sometimes he w- lives with his Midwestern parents. 
you know, they kept on going back and forth there. They didn't really know. And, you know, I know, yes, I'm talking about continuity with a, with a show, but. <sighs> yeah, that was weird is that they seemed to be half stuck in continuity and half not. And I think, I think for a cartoon like that, you need to be more like Ren and Stimpy where there just was no continuity. It was well, like each, each new episode was its own thing and it doesn't connect to anything else. Well, the problem was they tried to keep the other foot there. That's the, that's the biggest problem. Yeah. And speaking of Ren and Stippy, there was an episode of Ren and Stippy that actually was meant to be a Plucky and Hampton short. Oh, which one was that? It was the Haunted House episode, the one with the bloody head fairy. Oh, right. Yeah, I think we talked about that, actually, where it was yeah, uh, and used liquor. It, yeah, it was originally going to be – the bloody head fairy was originally going to be like Elmer Fudd, but when they switched it over to uh, Ren and Stippy, they made it Doug Funny. Yeah, and when you think about it, it really becomes obvious why that was going to be a Tiny Toons because uh, – that's that's actually an homage to a to a Bob Clampett uh, cartoon. It is actually yes. Yeah, and I don't remember which one it was. Well, it was also a, an homage to was it a was it was it a Jones? No, it wasn't Jones. It was probably another Clampett one, the one with uh, with Sylvester and and Porky staying at the. Uh... Well, that was a uh, that was a Chuck Jones one. That was a Chuck Jones one. Okay. Who, uh, who who worked the Tiny Toons that brought that to Spumco? Which uh, I I thought John Kay tried out for Tiny Toons but didn't make it. Would, did like uh, one of his artists work on the show? Uh, Eddie Fitzgerald did. Okay, the wreck of the Eddie Fitzgerald. Yeah, and they were going to uh, they were going to farm one of the episodes out to Spumco the same way they would you know, farm an episode out to uh, to Kennedy. And uh, I think that's that's how Eddie Fitzgerald got his way out. Is they were talking to Spumco, and Eddie was like, "Get me out of here." <laughs> He's like, "Because Eddie's gone after me out of here." Eddie is gone after season one. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a John K. sent him a cake with a file in it. <laughs> now, the ma- most amazing thing about Tiny Toons for me is how much talent ran as quickly as they could from that show. Because Bruce Tim started there too. That's correct. Yeah. And like I said, what happened was was one of the top wigs at Warner Brothers said, "Hey, you you like comic books, right? How would you feel about like coming up with something for a Batman idea?" And then and Bruce Tim like pushed this other stuff to the side, like, "Okay, start drawing." I mean, you know what? Maybe that's what Marvel should have done: <laughs> started a crappy project and start trying to figure out which animators want to save their life. Is there anything about uh, the show that you like? Plucky, yeah, the baby, baby Plucky. Oh, right, yes, yeah, you referenced that. Um, I'm sure there were other things. I mean, we're being really negative. There we are. I wanted to kind of leaven were... the conversation, but uh, I like the movie. I like the movie. Uh, Summer Vacation? Yeah, I mean, just because the animation was really great. That's what I remember from it. That was a TMS production. Right. I think it was all, yeah, I mean, it was all TMS. It was pretty uh, nice looking. Probably the best the show had ever looked, and would ever look, really. Yeah, it, it probably was, yeah. Didn't they switch Busters at one point, like the original voice of Buster? Uh... Yeah, and that's the funniest thing. I was watching old shorts, and one beer was the old Buster voice. Mm-hmm. We have to talk about one beer. The, the single the single episode that only aired once. Yes. I remember it so vividly, though. It's, it's strange that it only aired once. It's on YouTube. Maybe they edited it or something after. I mean, it just totally pulled up out from circulation after, after the first airing? Yep. Wow. Yeah. It was it was very heavy fisted, uh, you know. This is why you shouldn't drink, kids. And didn't the episode end with an apology from the characters? Like, yeah. now we don't have to do this anymore. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's funny. I remember they did an episode where uh, where where you know Furball gets fleas, 
but they're cute little immigrant fleas. Oh, God. Oh, no. This sounds like a bad idea. That felt like a, a hidden pilot waiting to happen. It's like, get ready next fall for the flea family. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, that was not a good idea, was it? Were the but, immigrant fleas as racist as I'm imagining it? It was very fifeful. Ah, uh, okay. It was... Well, it, it, they could have gone a, a worse direction. Were you picture, Were you picturing Mexican fleas? Sombrero, yeah. Well, actually, Don't actually, Buster did the did the uh, Bugs Bunny sombrero dance. Mm, well, that's okay. That's it's just a dance. I know, but the you know it, he actually got whacked in the head, and he says, "Funny, it worked for Bugs Bunny." Uh, you remember it now, don't you? Yeah, it hurts, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, there are other things I remember. Uh, the global warming episode was shit. The, uh, yeah, was it the one that had three shorts about like three different environmental issues? No, no, it was the one where there are penguins because of like a, a torrential flood heading to uh, to to Acme Acres, or and uh, and these penguins got stranded, and Buster has to take care of them, and, he, and he's like, "Oh, the, it's because of the rainforest being chopped down." So they go to stop this evil guy that's chopping down one tree to make one elevator button. I recall an episode, um, or maybe a short, was it an entire episode about whaling? I think so. I think so. I remember that. And I, I remember even as a kid, like, this issue is far too large and disconnected from my life that I could possibly do anything about it, so why are you telling me about whaling? The funny thing is South Park did a better whaling episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, dolphin! Fuck you, whale! See, my theory was that... Uh... Tiny Toons was just experimental, and Animaniacs was the real project. But some some of some of the stuff makes me wonder. It's like it's like they intentionally did bad ideas, or uh, it's like a purge, Neil. You stick your yeah, finger like, down your throat. I think a lot of it was them trying to figure out what they could do, and working out some you know issues with. But that. as Doctor Malcolm said, just because you could doesn't mean you should. <laughs> and they should a lot. Yeah. No, there was a. You know, what I remember was they actually did one episode where they actually had Buster take Babs out on a date. Yeah. And then they, they, they gave the characters, like, sub-characters, like, Buster was Mr. Popular. and uh, oh, No, see, I was going to say earlier that, that Buster and Babs are like, uh, were, uh, what's, that, what's that character type, the, uh, the, the Mary Sue? Yeah. Yeah, yeah th- them dating, didn't these people ever watch Moonlighting? You don't do that. Well, they, yeah, they keep on saying no relation, so. And uh, there was actually one thing I did like about Tiny Toons. Uh, What's that? It ended? <laughs> no, no, I'm going to give it credit for one short. All the other shorts on this on this uh, episode are shit, but there's one short that's hilarious. Uh, Istanbul. Oh, right, the, the videos episode. Yeah. Actually, actually, Particle Man was okay, but Istanbul was gold. Yeah, that was a fantastic video for that. And that's how I kind of find out about uh, They Might Be Giants, because I was way too young to know anything about music, really. I remember Istanbul when it was sung by the Kingsmen. But, uh... <laughs> I know it's an oldie, but uh, I never heard the original until uh, I found out about the They Might Be Giants cover. Okay. Yeah, I think why that, why, that, why, the, <clears throat> why that might have come out so well is just because it had to be an episode where the animation was up front, so they, so they made sure that they uh, picked out a good studio and... Uh, you know, did good animation as opposed to uh, second rate. Yeah, they also had a a, a new character just for the episode, uh, Judy Bruin. Oh, 
think I it think was Julie. It was a Julie Bruin, like, like Julie Brown. Yeah. Let me let me see if I can find she like it. A, she had like a bear or something. Yeah. Yeah, was, they, they, I was yeah. about to say that sounds like an original character, but then there were the three bears. <laughs> but yeah, it's a yeah. I was actually it was actually amazing, you know, that with how bad the sensors were, what they were able to do with her design. Oh right, she's got a little midriff and everything. God. Well, like the character she was parroting was like like sexy, fun, bubbly. It's girl. actually voiced by the same character. Oh, it's actually by, Julie Brown. That's right. Yeah, that is. Damn. Wow. Well, this is actually this is actually I had the sound up, but this is actually well animated. Did she say wubba wubba wubba? That's a different Julie Brown. Oh, you're thinking of downtown Julie Brown? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> age with a lot of Julie Browns. Is this TMS? Yeah, it looks like it. This is TMS. Wow, yeah. that is uh, that uh, yeah. I just noticed. Why didn't I remember this as a kid? <laughs> <laughs> you think something like this would have stuck in my developing um, male brain? But um, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, it's like I said. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, I was actually amazed they were able to get away with uh, that kind of uh, animation. And the way they're, they're they're moving of their own, you know, with their own inertia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, wow, cross dressing jokes. This is this is amazing. But yeah, the some of the music videos, like the respect music video, was shit. The uh, <laughs> let me see uh, <laughs> the. Uh, the yakety yak was not that funny either. No, the no, the only one that was even remotely good were the was the uh, was the uh, you know Istanbul in Particle Man. The rest were not that good. But yeah, it's um, it th- this this was not really that uh, great a show, was it? No, but it seemed to be uh, like extremely popular. I remember they did they did a they did a commentary episode uh, that, that commented on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh yeah, I was gonna say like immature the immature samurai slugs. Yeah, um, I was gonna say like one of the things, even if you don't like the show, that it did was it was sort of the first kids show to really talk about and make fun of um, popular culture, at least in very specific ways. It felt like the, the parodies you. people were doing before weren't that specific, but in this show they were really specific, like Mad Magazine style. The problem is when you become too specific, you become quickly aged. That is true. I do enjoy the uh, immature radioactive samurai slugs, though. <laughs> oh, God. And their villain was a guy that had the salt sprinklers as his fingers. Right. That's right. Yeah, this this was not really that fun a uh, show for me. You know, this is coming off the 80s where you know you had Alvin and the Chipmunks and... Scooby and Scrappy and all those cartoons. So this was this was a real breath of fresh air, believe it or not. And I really feel like it was playing off the success of uh, Roger Rabbit. Yeah, it was. It, was. It, it had the right timing coming off of that. It's time for intermission, boys and girls. Movie Week in Review is the GeekCast Radio Network's weekly movie podcast. Steve and Mike take a look back on their favorite films and give you their thoughts. They also bring in co-hosts at times. If you are a movie buff, listen to M-Wire only on geekcastradio.com. Hey, I'm Gary. I'm Greg. I'm Chuck. And I'm Justin. Join the four of us every week on the Internet's number one G.I. Joe podcast, What's On Joe Mind. That's right. It's Joe News, reviews, and special guests like you've never heard them before delivered right to your MP3 player. Think of it as Joe Talk meets Sports Talk. And we make fun of Chuck. Right. Hey. We're just kidding, Chuck. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes Chuck makes fun of himself. Right. Hey. It's What's On Joe Mind. 
every week on the Geekcast Radio Network, InsidePulse.com, Stitcher Smart Radio, and iTunes. Download and listen today. Can I say something about Transformers? No! Tooncast is dedicated to the cartoons we grew up with. 100 episodes and more make up one of the GCRN's most popular podcasts. Join hosts TFG and Mike, Optimus Solo, Terror the Rising Star, and tons of guest hosts. We also have voice actor and writer interviews. Tune in to Tooncast as we look back on the cartoons that defined us as geeks. You can find Tooncast on iTunes and the web at www.geekcastradio.com. Tune in. is the middle, the middle of our story, the middle. Animaniacs, uh, this, like I said, was when the cobwebs were shaken off and finally, you know. But back to Tiny Toons for one second, I forgot to mention <laughs> one thing. You, there was an episode that tried to do an Animaniacs-esque you know, characters like the Warners, but ones that actually exist, they tried to do a shout out to uh, to Honey and uh, Bosco. Oh yeah, which is kind of funny because they they try to they try to anthropomorphize the characters when originally they were blackface characters. Yeah, yeah it's like they, some reconstructionist history. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and I, it's not like anyone knew who they were because I was like, okay, what is this about? Because it really is one of the strangest episodes if you do not know who those characters are. Yeah, well, the thing with the with Bosco is a lot of the early Bosco shorts are really weird. Like, there's one where he cuts the head off of a mouse, and the head of the mouse is, like, bouncing on a saw blade that he's playing. Oh, jeez. Around that time, though, uh, Nickelodeon was having Bosco cartoons in part of their rotation for their Looney Tunes uh, That's how package. I saw that. Yeah. And I remember they even announced that they were getting rid of Bosco in a commercial for, uh, I don't know, when they repackaged some new episodes. And it was like, sorry, Bosco. But I don't think anyone was mourning the loss of uh, Bosco cartoons. No. Yeah, and like I said, they, they they brought back Bosco and Honey, and they really didn't need to. And and what the Warners were in Animaniacs was that concept done right, where there were no original Warner Brothers and Warner Sister cartoons from the 30s and 20s. No, they made that up. Yeah, they made them funnier because those aren't really worth going back to watch. So it's like we want characters that are actually – they start out funny. And what I actually loved was they said that uh, – what I loved was the idea that uh, that uh, when the Warners first started, they didn't start in cartoons by themselves. They started as characters with a, an established character. Buddy! Buddy. Oh, right. <laughs> I love that idea. I, I, I like the buddy. mythology. Yeah, I like what the I mythology. Love is buddy is actually really that lame in, in the, the original Buddy cartoons. That's buddy, right, yeah. Buddy was terrible. And so they decided to make Buddy just, just as lame. It just have the Warners utterly, like, physically abuse Buddy to death. And and that's what makes it great. It's it's that's that's what that's what's so great about it. It's like you, you know, here's these three characters that were in you know that doesn't don't really exist, but you know, here they are, and then there's uh and then there's Buddy and they, they're just beating the shit out of Buddy. You know, I was thinking that Animaniacs is kind of like Warner Brothers went back to Fox Studios and said, okay, we want to do a new cartoon that's sort of like Tiny Toons, but you got to let us hit people. <laughs> we got we to gotta slap people around. You know, we can't have this uh, Elmira shit where she doesn't get any comeuppance. Yeah. And boy, this this show is great. I mean, this really is one of the first examples in this generation of, of a variety show, you know? 
the variety show was dead by by then, you know. You know, no one was no one was watching reruns of Lawrence Welk anymore. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's what Saturday Night Live started out as, but it quickly turned away from that. Yeah. And yeah, a lot of the lot of the characters, you know, I I could watch a lot of the skits, and a lot of the skits are just hilarious to me. Still, I mean, I you know I love the the Good Feathers. I you know, uh, Rita and Runt are funny. Uh, you brought that up. It's really funny that they based a. <laughs> A bunch of characters on, um, you know, people from a very, very violent movie for adults. Well, that's what makes it great. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the like the choices they made, and it seems like they weren't really afraid of uh, making anybody mad. Well, there was humor for the kids, and yet, and there was also humor for the adults, and that that's that's the mark of good comedy. Yeah. Well, come on, having a Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci p- pigeon is just great. Well, the voices are just great to begin with, so it's all Rob Paulson, isn't it? Um, I don't um, think any of those were Rob Paulson, but he really? played a few uh, characters. He had three. He had three impersonations, and not one of them was Rob Paulson. I I don't think any of those characters were Rob Paulson. I'm sure, but he played a lot of characters on that show, if I remember right. And what I liked was, you know, with uh, Rita and Runt, it's basically Barbara Streisand and Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they were. Were they ever in a movie together? Um. um oh, yes, they were, and you're not going to like which one it was. It was Meet the Parents. Ah, uh, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> but fortunately, this predates that. <laughs> Sorry, that was the first one that came to mind. <laughs> it's a bad one to come to mind, but... <laughs> yeah, so, what uh, are the things that t- Animaniacs do right that Tiny Toons did wrong? Other than, you know, getting more consistent animation. Uh, I guess the side characters were great. They, they didn't necessarily have to interact with each other. They could exist, exist in their own worlds, kind of. And uh, I think the problem with uh, Tiny Toons was they had to have a way for all the characters to have some sort of common ground or some sort of common setting. Well, I think another problem was they had to have, you know, Buster and Babs in every episode of Tiny Toons. Well, in Animaniacs, you could actually have whole episodes of Animaniacs where, other than just the intro, the Warners aren't in it. Yeah. It's because, you know... Actually, the funny thing is uh, one of my favorite skits was one they only did like two skits of, uh, Katie Kaboom. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought Katie Kaboom was great. They should have done more Katie Kaboom. Then there was also the, uh, the uh, what's her name, the uh, the mink girl. Oh, yeah. Speaking of Minerva. Uh, Minerva. That was pretty risque, I would say. A lot of that show was risque. The nurse was risque. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I feel and, like you couldn't you couldn't have a lot of those characters, uh, you know, seventeen years later, yeah, on a kid show. Like, so yeah, there were just lots of great characters on that show. There was, uh, you know, I actually like nearly all of the skit characters. Uh, you know, Buttons and Mindy was pretty funny too. Oh yeah, that was one of my favorites because it goes back to classic uh, classic uh, Warner Brothers shtick without you know copying it photo as a photocopy. Did you did you also bring up Chicken Boo? Chicken Boo's great. It was the same joke over and over, but it was goddamn it was funny. <laughs> they committed to that joke. Well, that that's their idea. Okay, the joke is Chicken Boo's dis- is disguised as a man, and then he gets exposed. That's the joke. Okay, what's the it's setting? Always something like it's always something like the sombrero falls off, and everyone's like, "Oh my god, it's it's a chicken!" And then there's that one guy that pops up and says, "I told you it was a chicken." <laughs> I like they they actually respond how a normal person would respond if they saw a giant chicken yeah. with a hat on it. 
Yeah, Katie Kaboom. The first the first Katie Kaboom cartoon I ever saw was uh, was the crossover episode, oddly enough, where they crossed it over over with Chicken Boo. I remember that they did several episodes where they decided to switch up the the co stars. Yeah, unfortunately, and I that um, the funniest. They they came up with Pinky Elmira and the Brain during that. Uh, well, that, actually, actually, first we had to talk about Pinky and the Brain, which we didn't even touch yet. Oh right, yeah. Which you know, I think um, the show that it spun off was actually more consistently funnier and well written than Animaniacs. Pinky and the Brain as a show was a great show. It was uh, yeah. it was hilarious. It was it was clever. It uh, it had great characters. Great they put it on in primetime too. I remember. Yeah, great set pieces. And the problem with Actually, we talked about Justice for Buttons, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what spelled the doom for Pinky in the Brain. Because, uh, what's his name again, Neil? Oh, uh, Jamie Kellner. Jamie Kellner. So, my theory is the episode of Pinky, the episode of Animaniacs where they had Elmira get her comeuppance was so highly rated that Uh Jamie Kellner said, oh, we gotta bring this character back. And Jamie Kellner also said, okay, Pinky in the Brain. We need to make it more like The Simpsons. Yes, he actually said this. We need to make it more like The Simpsons. Put Elmira on there. Was he behind the uh, sort of stealth Elmira pilot in uh, Tiny Toons that we didn't talk about? He was... Jamie Kellner is known as the Great Eradicator, the Doombringer, the... Uh... <laughs> he, he's the kind of boss that, you know, he, you know, you get a new boss at work and, you know, he's, he's the guy who's got a shake everything up and change everything just so that the higher-ups, you know, think he's doing something. Yeah. He canceled Animaniacs. He canceled Pinky and the Brain. He canceled uh, Freakazoid. canceled Hysteria, which I don't really care that much about, but still. Yeah. He's the guy who... He canceled the highest-rated show on Turner Network Television, WCW. (laughs) Yeah, Jamie Kilner is the Doombringer, so... Yeah, I don't know if he was behind the the, the Elmira backdoor pilot. He was. Oh, he was? Okay. Because it's easy to blame everything on him, but we we strive for accuracy. Yeah, yeah. As much as I love to blame that Murakami kid, I can't. (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, that's what happened. You know, there was, you know, you know, Animaniacs was great because what I loved was, you know, it was like these hidden nuggets. Sometimes they're like, oh, we, you know, you know, they do this, they do this like newsreel thing where they say, found by a, Found by the Warner janitorial staff, a lost Warner's cartoon. They show like a like a twenty style Warner's cartoon, and those were great. I mean, they really couldn't match the animation of back then, but they matched as much of the style as they could, and it really worked. Have we mentioned uh, all of the music? Oh, the I music, mean, like the singing. Yeah, there's music. lots of uh, lots of songs. Well, that reminds me of one of my favorite episodes is the one where they're making fun of Julie Andrews. Was it the sound of music? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, because basically the Warners couldn't hurt her because, and they actually had a father explain to his son, "Well, son, the Warners only hurt people to antagonize them. Other than saying some very annoying songs, she really didn't do anything wrong yet." <laughs> and so they hired Slappy to to beat her up. <laughs> oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah. I think Slappy openly complained about the singing in every. Uh... Enough with the singing already. Yeah. yeah. And what I love about Slappy is Slappy's another case of, of them trying to, like, reinvent history with a nod and a wink. Because in their mind, Slappy Squirrel was was like Silly Squirrel. And Neil knows who Silly Squirrel is. Or I think you're, you mean Screwy Squirrel. Screwy Squirrel, pardon me. 
like an obscure. Yeah, she, she was the resident Tex Avery character on the on the Animaniacs crew. Yeah, basically, there, there there's this one character that didn't get a lot of love back then, but is just this horribly violent maniac, and that's who Slappy Squirrel is. Basically, Slappy Squirrel is that character, but now she's older, so now she's like you know now she's like in retirement home age, and she's just bitter and about not being as famous as as all the rest, but you know. She's still funny. I think, I think she's a little more sane than Scurry's girl. Scurry was just outright psychotic. Well, that's true, but she did always do the bomb. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I said, it, she really was, you know, she really was just this idea of let's, like, pretend that this character always existed. <laughs> you know, just like the Warners, actually. And that sort of cleverness really worked, you know, versus saying, oh, yeah, Bosco, yeah, honey, yeah, Good idea. Didn't they do a retirement uh, home episode where there were a bunch of parodies of Disney characters in it? Yes. Yes, because they were talking about Bambi's mom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I remember that now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Bambi's mom. A lot of these. What I like about Slappy was all of her villains were also like elderly as well. Right. It was a lot of like old people jokes packed into. Uh... Ten minutes, prune juice jokes and everything. Yeah, like I, like I remember there being a really hard of hearing wolf. Yeah, and uh, what I like was the uh, some. I remember one episode where they like had a commercial for Animaniac cereal, Brandomaniacs. Brandomaniacs. Yeah, Brandomaniacs. Nutritionally, it lacks. Well, at least it's honest. <laughs> you, you don't remember Brandomaniacs, deal. I don't remember. I this. remember they could not get to the end of the jingle because they had to leave to use the bathroom. What I love was they actually did this slappy episode. They actually did a update of who's on first. Oh right, where they were they were at a who concert. No, they were at Woodstock. It's like who's on first, and then Slappy finally says, "Tell me the band on stage." He's like, and Slappy's like, "No, the band's not up yet," because there was a band called the Band, yeah. and <laughs> no, it was actually really well written because. That was one of my favorite bits. The uh, who's on stage? They they got yes in there and uh, yeah, yeah. They actually made the bit uh, more complicated, which is quite a feat. <laughs> I know they made they made it much much better than than the original. Can I say it's better? I kind of think it, it's a it's a it doesn't have the the originality behind it, but it manages to uh, well, play well, with the formula. It's the fact that there were bands called Who, the band, and Yes. Yeah. Make it work, I think. I mean, the fact that these bands existed for 30 years, and they did, they made, made a joke work for it, you know? Yeah, but you also have to remember that uh, that at that time we also had commercials for the uh, for the Time Life collections. And, you know, e- even kids who, who weren't listening to The Who, they knew who, who they were just because... Kids didn't know uh, who The Who were? You'd be surprised. What are they teaching our kids in school now? <laughs> Um, you don't want to know, but, uh, yeah, cause you, you want, you know, if you stay up late enough, you see the infomercial or you see the, uh, the obscure seventies star talking about the music of yesterday and Dick Clark is not like, obscure. Like the, no, not, I'm not talking about Dick Clark. I'm talking about, I don't know, but, you know, the, the CD sets where it's like all the greatest hits from the state from the seventies and sixties and all those. David soul was in movies, man. 
I'm just having fun with you now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you're right. There, I remember the Time Life music collection yeah. commercials. You know, for three easy payments in 1995, you can have the hits from 1971, 1972, 1970. Yeah, I remember. Were they selling them as CDs yet, or were they still records? <laughs> I think they were CDs at that point. Okay, but yeah, another great thing I liked about the there was a, there was a great one where they actually did to where the Warner characters were loaned to other cartoon studios. Flemation. Mm. Oh, oh, that that episode. I love that episode, except that they get kind of mean with uh, with the Yogi Bear part. I like the Flemation part. Just the <laughs> come on, that was gold. Yeah, they make fun of Filmation, and they really do all the same techniques that Filmation does, where you have the long, long, long establishing shots so they don't have to animate anything. And what I love is the fact that, you know, the Warners are bouncing around, and the, and the, and the clubhouse guy's like, get him. And he's like, we can't get him. We use, we use our two new reels of animation just to get to the clubhouse. <laughs> and at the beginning where uh, the Fat Albert parody points at, points at the screen. Oh, God, they did really it close. exactly That's, right. Yeah, that's actually from uh, from Pat Albert. Wow, yeah, that was that was great. But yeah, the Yogi Bear thing was very mean spirited. <laughs> yeah, I thought that, I thought that was a little dishonest too, because Yogi Bear, yeah, it was uh, kind of crudely animated, but some of the shortcuts they did because they had to, and I actually liked the way it was colored. You know, I didn't think it was drab. Well, what about what about the where my two dimensional goodies? Well, the, the point is, you could tell what the joke was about. Yeah, yeah. But every, everything else was dead on, I think. Yeah. You, you know, the thing is, they could have, you know, did Warner at the time own Hanna-Barbera yet or not yet? I don't know, because it was... It was not yet. It was not yet, because, see, I think those jokes are better when they don't do the exact characters. Because when you do the exact characters, it sort of makes it a little bit more mean-spirited. Yeah, I, I think you're right, because at that point, Turner owned uh, Hanna-Barbera, and I don't think the merger had happened yet. See, see, like when, when the, you know, Harvey Birdman, funny show, but because basically at that point, you know, you know, Cartoon Network and Warner Brothers owned all the backlog, they were able to do any joke they wanted with any character that was wasn't like that Disney. Was, uh, the foundation of Adult Swim was just like taking old characters and making them weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there's, the, yeah, but like I said, you get that, and when you do the actual characters, it's much more mean spirited versus what Animaniacs did with, uh, with uh, Flemation. <laughs> the fact that the fact that's thinly veiled makes it great versus you know oh, and here's Johnny Quest and he's a drugged out uh, crazy kid. I, I know we're not talking about uh, Freakazoid, but Freakazoid did the best Johnny Quest parody of all time. Oh yeah, in danger. Let me throw let me throw a barrel, barrel at it. <laughs> Made so with dry. Uh, I love most it. of most of the original voices. I, I just like that shot of of of, of, uh, of Dash Pepper, you know, doing the swan dive. Misses the misses the uh, the pool. Hits the concrete. Comes up and does the okay thing and spits out gravel. That was really good. But yeah, there was. Like I said, when they when they did those parodies and they weren't allowed to use the actual characters, it's so much better. Because. I see. It's 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 much more clever, I think, versus oh, you know, oh, by the way, we do own this character, so we can just make fun of him outright. Yeah, and uh, the Flemation uh, uh, producer that they showed in that episode that was a parody of uh, Lou Scheimer. Oh, burn! Probably a lot of disgruntled ex-Flemation uh, people working on the show. I think they were. I think. 
Well, as Neil yeah. put it, when they did do interviews with people who worked on fil- worked with Filmation, they only found one guy. Yeah, there was a special about about uh, the legacy of Filmation, and the only recognizable name in that show was Paul Dini. And I know that a lot of a lot of uh, the an- the animators of the '90s came out of Filmation, and not a lot, not too many of them are proud of saying that. Well, even Paul Dini did say what what uh, Lou was trying to do wouldn't work anymore. I mean, Spumco. If if you listen to the commentaries on the uh, on the Ren and Snippy DVDs, uh, there are some really harsh uh, criticisms thrown at thrown at Filmation. Harsh but fair. But yeah, there were there were lots of great jokes, and you know what I like was a lot of, a lot of setups were very much like uh, Abbott and Stello setups, or uh, or even uh, Three Stooges setups, or even Marx Brothers setups for these episodes. Yeah, I think uh, running throughout the show is real sincere love of uh, Hollywood and uh, movies and television. Yeah, and uh, actually one of my favorite bits was they did two different jokes based off of uh, a Jerry Lewis movie. Oh, my God. Was that the day the clown cried? Yeah, they were two different jokes. There was one episode where they were doing an Apocalypse Now spin of it. Right. Where basically the Warners had to journey deep in the studio to stop a a rogue producer for making a bad movie and it's it a jerry seems, lewis it's a jerry lewis character it seems like uh fox had had them on a you know i don't know not on a tight leash because to do a joke like that that most people wouldn't understand because you know it was sort of like pre-internet and it was <laughs> kind of an inside thing for hollywood writers and people in the industry they would do a lot of industry jokes that would probably most people didn't understand like only in retrospect you're like oh i heard about that on the internet five years later like the um Orson Welles thing in uh, Pinky and the Brain, the yeah. Yes Always. <laughs> yes Always. That's great, by the way. Yeah. But uh, like I said, uh, the first one was the was an episode, you know, it was like Journey into the Heart of Darkness or something like that. And uh, it actually had this one guy who looks like the, the lead singer of The Doors show up and sing, this is the beginning of our story, the beginning. He, does, he only shows up at the end, and it's when they drive over him with the... Yeah. With the studio car, which is which is which is because the, at the end of Apocalypse Now, the song is "The End" by the Doors. Yeah. Yes, and uh, and it it sounds like that song, but if you put the two side by side, it's really clever how they were able to get a sound alike that really doesn't follow the music scheme at all. I'm like, oh, that that's actually quite a bit different, and yet it references that song somehow perfectly. Was the music uh, done by Richard Stone for the show. Um, I don't. Remember, so I think I there was just one main composer, but like um, I don't know, we, we can probably point out that this show had a full, fully backed orchestra. Like each episode had a unique score. Yes, it did. Like super the... high budget stuff that ne- never will happen again. Yeah, both Tiny Toons Anime and Animaniacs did that, where they had uh, uh, an actual score, like like the original Looney Tunes cartoons. And then there was uh, the other Jerry Lewis joke episode where they actually had Jerry Lewis as a clown. <laughs> Yeah, that's the one where uh, he's trying to climb climb the water tower, and he keeps getting maimed by... When the river wills, river's in the wind. Yeah, the Whippoorwill song. Was he uh, known as Mr. Director? Yes. Is that his character's name? Yes. I thought that was always funny. They were making fun of his uh, attempts to be serious, because he'd go from the... Like sincere, like uh, like schmoozy Jerry Lewis to the crazy the clown Jerry Lewis in like a well, second. Yeah, what he's doing, he was doing the back and forth uh, between Buddy Love and. Ah, uh, oh, okay. That's the, that was the joke. 
Okay. I didn't see the original Nutty Professor. I thought they were just kind of making fun of uh, Jerry Lewis's like super serious off-screen persona as opposed yeah. to his movie persona where it's... No, they, they, were, they were making fun of the, I, the Nutty Professor. Thing. Yeah, I, I think it was like a lot of layered references. Yeah. Yeah. And, but just what, what I love is, is just the fact that in the writer's room they were probably like, okay, let's do an episode where Wacko abuses a clown. And then one of the writers said, make it Jerry Lewis. That was actually Paul uh, the old, Rugg, yeah. the, the writer uh, who did this voice. Oh. It was a pretty good impersonation. He also it did uh, Freakazoid and a few other voices on Freakazoid. Wow, but yeah, it's you're you're right. This is a joke that is so pre-internet, and you could never have a show like this again because it would be deconstructed. Every episode would be deconstructed uh, instantly. Whereas at the time this was made, it was like, what is this a reference to? It's sort of like I learned about a lot of things from my mom and dad's, uh, you know, years before yeah. mine through the show, like. Most of the 70s references I probably absorbed from the Animaniacs and other shows around the time. Yeah, it's just, like I said, it's, uh, <laughs> there were some missteps with Animaniacs, too. I know we're praising Right. The damn hippos. Oh, Someone God. talked about the damn hippos. The, the hip hippos, yeah. They only had a few uh, cartoons, but they were really uh, there were more, There were some worse than that. There were some worse than that. Uh, the Power Rangers spoof episode was not very good. Mm. Yeah, I don't strange remember. Because they had a lot of material to work with. I know that that's why it falls flat because they 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 went very straight with it when they should have done something like versus having the Warners become the Power Rangers themselves they should have done something more like the Warners mocking the Power Rangers. Yeah, yeah, and that's weird because that could have been dated, but you know who knew the Power Rangers were still going to be going twenty years later. Lots of lots that, of lots of virgins because apparently at that oh, see at that time I was just like. Yeah, this won't last. And it seems I'm always wrong whenever whenever I predict the uh, the life expectancy of a of a show like that. Speaking of the dated, this is a show that had an, a, a Bill Clinton in every opening. They changed it after like two seasons. They changed it to "We pay tons of income tax." Oh, right. Because that was that was after a couple of years of the Clinton years, and they're like, "Oh, wait a minute." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that. And yet somehow that wasn't as funny. Yeah, that, that yeah. If, for people who don't remember, Bill Clinton actually trying to make, make a big thing about it, the fact he can play a sax. He wasn't very good. He wasn't bad, but he wasn't very good. He went on a studio hall to play the. Oh wow! I might remember a studio hall. Who remembers him? Hands. I do. Hand hand raised. There there was a Barney the dinosaur reference on on Baloney. Yeah, Baloney the dinosaur. Oh god! And that was just them throwing anvils on top of uh, Barney. Nothing wrong with that. No, but but lots of the music was great. Like uh, <coughs> the monkey song is great, you know. The uh, the I'm mad, you know. A lot of the music videos are of their original music is great. Th- this show has a great soundtrack. The uh, the country song, the state capital song, all super like just insanely clever with how much information they have to pack into the lyrics and still make it rhyme. But they managed to do it. Yeah, I think I can still do most of the country song just from memory. Yeah, it's weird how how uh, how they got that all to work. And I'm sure they won several Emmys for the music. I'm sure they did. They, and then they had uh, Wacko. Even. And then they had Wacko do the Burp Sympathy Symphony. Yeah, <laughs> it's actually Maurice Lamarche. Yes, I don't think he'll say how he does it. He, I think that's one of his secrets. Yeah, yeah. he's made that very like I can hear him doing burps and other things. And um, <laughs> yeah. like he did the burp for the belching contest on the Simpsons with Jay Sherman. Oh God. Which I guess made sense because Maurice Lamarche did voices on the critic, but um, so they so they couldn't get uh, they couldn't get uh, John Lovitz to burp. 
Not with the, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think they were like, we know, we know a good burp guy. We need a really impressive burp. Oh, John Lovitz face. looks like he can pack that gas in. That's true. And, you know, John Lovitz is a national hero. He grabbed Andy Dick's head and made the meet a table multiple times. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he should get praise for that. He's a national the, hero, Neil. The voice of Wacko Warner, I'm trying to look it up. That's uh, Jess Parnell. He's actually in a band now called, uh, I think it's something like Rock Sugar, they, where they do where they do mashup uh, songs. They they somehow combined uh, a Journey song with a Metallica song and released it. I'll 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 put I'll put a link to it in the show notes. I don't know how how to feel about that. It's it works surprisingly well. It's sort of like them mashing up Queen with uh, with the Beatles and getting uh, getting uh, Fat Bomb Girls come together. <laughs> no, that's a real mashup. It sounds pretty good. Not heard that, but uh, yeah, Animaniacs is such a su- more superior product. It had, you know, it, it it spun off the very well done Pinky in the Brain. They had much better consistent animation. It, you just just so much better stuff, you know. Yeah, no Kennedy animation. No at all. Kennedy in sight. Yeah, they were like, yeah, you you can go do the pup named Scooby Doo and whatever Disney projects you're going to work on. We're just we're not we're not going to hire you again. What happened to Glenn Kennedy after that? Uh, he did uh, uh, Darkwing Duck, and I don't know what he did after that. He kind of disappeared. Fell down a void? Maybe Plucky flushed him down the hall. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, overall, it, it's no question in my mind, Animanix is a much better watch and a much superior product. Yeah, and it fell right yeah. in the center of sort of that crazy Warner Brothers uh, animation renaissance that was only basically a decade, I would say. If that. Yeah, barely a decade. We, Tiny Toons was not really... You know, Tiny Toons was definitely them getting all the... You know, doing all the bad things first, you know? Right. There's one thing I couldn't stand about Tiny Toons was it was so overly liberal. Yeah, I, I don't like a, a, a political slant in general. So well, it was it was uh, the messages were delivered in a really empty way, like like I said, the wailing episode. Like, what am I going to do? I'm well, they kid. also did an episode about censorship, where they where they actually uh, where they tried to show they tried to like portray Dan Quayle as an idiot. Uh, <laughs> it was it was very mean spirited, and it wasn't really original because I mean those kind of jokes were uh, old, really old yeah, by that point. Yeah, wasn't it like four years before that that the whole potato thing and happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole the whole point of it is is you know, let's let's see some Al Gore's and idiot jokes because those are funny because Al Gore was in a, in a Thomas Jefferson museum, saw saw a, a statue of Thomas Jefferson, poked the curator and asked, "Who's that?" No, he really did. Yeah. He really did. Must have been a dark time for him. Yeah. But what I like about Animaniacs is that they spoofed the whole moral message thing by having the wheel of morality at the end. Yeah, that's fantastic. Actually, the funny thing is they really did have to do something like that for standards and practices, and they got away with just doing that. <laughs> they they got away with mocking standards and practices. Yes. Wheel of morality, turn, turn, turn. They, they, they had Rob Paulson read that as dry as possible. Yes. I like that one of the slots on the wheel was like a prize. Yes, it was. And they actually, they actually hit it once. Yeah, that was a great uh, little bit. Yeah, yeah. It's like I said, the fact that that's what they were able to get away with. Yeah, I, I think they renegotiated for Animaniacs. They're like, look, we we got to hit people with mallets. We gotta we gotta not have so such heavy handed things in the show. 
this this is comedy, not not lecturing. Well, as his slap says, now that's comedy. Yeah. I think uh, by that point, The Simpsons had been around long enough to kind of show that you could do uh, a little more edgier stuff and kids could still watch it. Well, well, the, the, the as edgy as Simpsons got was uh, was exposed butt cheeks. But yeah, but I mean, they they made they uh, tackled pop culture. They did uh, risque stuff about politics and um, other things like that. Yeah, so that's true. That that existing did help a lot of cartoons, kind of. You know, well, I'll give I'll give Matt Groening a lot of credit. Honestly, I really would. So yeah, you know, it's certain other people I wouldn't give credit, but Matt Groening does deserve a lot of credit for for you know making animation prime time you know work. And then Seth MacFarlane pissed it all away. <laughs> but uh, any other notes about the either shows, guys? There, there were several spinoffs of these spinoffs of spinoffs. Well, that's true. Like with the, with, the, with the Tiny Toons, they did have the Plucky Duck show, which only had one short animated for it, which is, was about Plucky doing a movie about uh, birds migrating. I thought there was a Bat Duck uh, sort of. No, Bat Duck was uh, was a short that was in uh, that was in Tiny Toons proper. Hmm. Yeah, the uh, it was it was like uh, it had a theme song that sort of made fun of the fact that it was a cheap production or like sort of like, they weren't really committed to it. And uh, I remember one of the lines in the um, theme song was "Don't complain, it's free," <laughs> spoken by Plucky himself. Just yeah. like how in uh, I'm picking the brain, it's just like. The theme song explains that they were forced to make the show. Yes, it does. It does. Yeah, no, way, it's, yeah, we're it's sorry. The network wants I bother to complain. Yeah, like I, I thought that that's incredibly balls. I can't believe they got away with that because I have a feeling there were some tensions and they, they let that slide. Well, it's because of Jamie Kellner. Yeah. Right. I mean, I don't know why he would have let that air with a, like a slam on the network like that, but maybe he just thought they were kidding or something. I th- I think he, I think Jamie Kellner does understand subtlety. Yeah, that's true. We should find out what he's doing now and if he's ruining something else. Yeah, so I think that's about it for the uh, Tiny Toons versus Animaniacs. Uh, buy Animaniacs. Don't buy Tiny Toons. Are either of these uh, streaming at all? or N- They're not streaming yet, but the DVD box sets are out. Gotcha. I have, I have a feeling they, did, they didn't finish either series. No, the series weren't really meant, weren't really finished. Finished. I mean, there there was never any of them, you know. Basically, you know, waiting for renewal that never came. I mean, uh, DVD wise. I oh, okay. They didn't yeah. finish releasing them. I think Animaniacs is finished, and I think Tiny Toons is finished, but it's not a complete one because they like went with all the censorship. You can't get like what they originally were when they aired. Oh, uh, uh, I wonder if it's something like what happened to uh, to uh, Beavis and Butthead, where where they actually cut the masters. I think so. Well, the funny that, thing, oh. the funny thing to me is, uh, is Batman the Animated Series got a different DVD release where the first aired version is the one that they have because they're talking about, oh, we corrected this in a second airing, but this is the first airing, so this is what it looks like on the DVD, which is actually kind of cool. Yeah, for the people out there who don't know about this, uh, when M- when that whole uh, fire thing went down with Beavis and Butthead, uh, MTV had. Had uh, the producers of Beavis and Butthead actually cut up, yeah, actually cut up the masters. So those original airings, if you have VHS copies of them, keep them because those are the only copies that exist. Yep. But overall, Animaniacs is such a better show because it it doesn't try to pretend it's a morality lesson or an after-school special. Well, Tiny Toons try to pretend that sometimes, and in in their attempt to try to teach, they bored. 
So on that note, that's how we're going to end the, the special. Uh, I'm your host, Ben. With TV, Mr. Neil. I am Bob Mackey from OneUp.com. And we're saying good night. Goodbye. Later. Record off. That's the ending. The ending of our story. The ending. That's the ending. The ending. That's the ending. The ending. The ending. The ending. The ending. <laughs>